title of the message today is Heaven and Hell. And anyway, I hope that doesn't scare you today. And, and I hope you don't think this, think this is doom and gloom because it's not. Uh, we all control our destinies. And God wishes that all men would be saved and come into knowledge and understanding of him. Uh, Christ sent, God sent Jesus so that all of us could be with God. And Jesus gave up heaven so that we could all be with God. So nobody in here should fear that they're going to hell. Uh, if you're going to hell, it's because you chose to. Okay? Uh, but again, I don't know why I said all that. But the scripture I want to read today is out of uh, Matthew chapter 7. Uh, 13 and 14, but it says, enter by the narrow gate for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Again, uh, Jesus is just so awesome. And, and Lori and Michaela were singing about that and and, and, and actually, uh, man, God's wanting all of us. And we sang about that the, in the worship that, that God's not done with us. He's, he's wanting more of us. And he's wanting to, to take us to even newer, higher places. Christ wants to just saturate us with everything. And, and, and that's what I love so much about him. Here we're, we're talking about the end of the, the Sermon on the Mount. And again, the Sermon on the Mount is Matthew 5, 6, 7. And I've been sharing on that a lot lately but the Lord just keeps pulling me back to it. But we see that on the Sermon of the Mount, Jesus is telling us uh, basically how to, the, the, to live for him. Uh, Jesus is telling us the characteristics of a Christian, which is Christ-like, but the rules by which they are to walk. And again, I hate rules, but when we love somebody, it's not a rule. We do it because we know it pleases them. And so I, I don't want to use the word rule, but, but Jesus in, the, in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is showing the characteristics of the believer, most of us in here. And he's showing the rules by which we should live. And as I look through these today and I see that, the, the first thing Jesus says in Matthew 5, immediately uh, he tells us, you follow me and you're going to be blessed. You, you give your heart to me in salvation and I'm going to bless you. He says it in Matthew 3, Matthew, or 5, 3, Matthew 5, 4, 5, 5, 5, 6, uh, 5, 7, 5, 8, 5, 9, 5, 10, and 5, 11. He says that, that happy, blessed is that person. Well, what that word means there, happy means to be envied, to be spiritually prosperous. And boy, you know, that's what surprises me that, that, that we find our fulfillment in being in Christ. A lot of us men in here, we want to be envied. We want to be the walk of the talk. We want to be respected by people and by, by man. Well, Christ said that blessed are those that serve him. Envied. Man, you're going to be highly respected. You're going to be spiritually prosperous with life joy. How many in here need joy today? Man, we need the joy of the Lord in our life. And I see a lot of Christians going around, oh, I'm so, oh, so unhappy. I'm so miserable. Man, you're blessed if you're in Christ. You're blessed if you're in salvation, so apparently we're not doing something right if we're not walking in that joy. But it goes on to say it's satisfaction in God's favor and salvation, salvation regardless of the outward conditions. So what Christ was saying, you choose me 
You make me Lord of your life. It doesn't matter what's going on in your life. It can be the most horrible thing in the world. But if you stay and choose me and stay in me, you are blessed, happy, envied, spiritually prosperous, full of joy, satisfaction in God's favor, salvation. And that's what Christ started this chapter out. If you choose him, you're blessed and you will be blessed. Then he goes into the the believer is the salt and the light of this world. Uh, The believer shares that the blessing that Christ has bestowed upon us. We're so excited. We're so uh, in love with God because of the blessings that he just talked about, that Christ just talked about, that we can't help but tell people about it. You know, when I think of that, I think of Angie Cook. And a lot of you sitting here, oh, she's, oh, she just, oh, my Angie, I just couldn't do that. That's the joy of the Lord you see in her a lot of the times. We were down to deal yesterday and it tickled me because she was witnessing to this lady that didn't go to church and she was sharing with her and, and, and right at the same time it got quiet in the room and she said, oh, God loves you. And then she got real embarrassed, you know, because it went across the whole room. But she was telling somebody about the love of Christ. She was the salt and light to that person's life. That's the way the believer should be. So Christ starts out, he's talking about, if you receive me, man, this salvation, you're blessed. You're going to be so blessed, you're going to be telling other people about it. And then he goes on to, in 520, and he, and he calls those that follow him to righteousness. And then he teaches us how to handle sin, specifically anger in verse 21, adultery 27, divorce 31, oaths 33, retaliation 38, loving your enemies 43. Then he tells us in Matthew 6 to give to the needy. He tells us how to pray in the Lord's Prayer there. He talks to us about fasting. And then he warns us not to get so caught up in this life that we're storing up earthly treasures, but to store up heavenly treasures. And then he goes on to say to don't be anxious. And we could just preach on that today because we're an anxious society. The believers believers are anxious and we shouldn't be. Believers are stressed and we shouldn't be. Believers are all bent up, and we shouldn't be. And he talks about that right there in this passage. Now, bear with me. And I know I've hit this before, but but we need to get this. Then in Matthew 7, he tells us about judging others. Then he again gets into praying and says that you have not because you ask not. You need to ask, seek, and knock, and it will be given to you. Then he talks to us about the golden rule. Whatever you wish others to do, you do also. So he presents who he is. He presents what he's about. He says, this is salvation. And and this is what's going to happen to you if you choose it. You're going to be blessed. You're going to be so blessed that that you're going to tell everybody else about it. And and, and then these are the things that will come from your life. And he lists all these things that we need to guard against. And that we need to, to, to build up in our life. Then he presents the choice. And that's the scripture that we read today. He says, and he explains that salvation. He says, enter by the narrow gate for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. 
So he was talking about this, this way of salvation, this, the, all these things that, he, that we can have if we choose him. But now he's telling us about the two choices. And that's something that really stood out to me through this scripture that we're, that we're uh, using today from Matthew 17, that there are two roads we can take in life. So again, Christ presents the word. It's what we do with it. Everybody in this room has been presented the word at one time or another. If you haven't, you are now. And there's two roads that we can take. But something the Lord showed me is that there's two roads through life all the way through. There's two roads of right or wrong. We can choose to do right in the morning or we can choose to do wrong. There's two roads of good and evil. There's two roads of narrow and wide. There's two masters, God or Satan. There's two destinies, heaven or hell. And we're choosing that road today. But what blessed me is, is Christ didn't make the choice for us. We make the choice. Christ does not divide men and women according to their skin. Neither should we. That's why this merger of the Spanish and English group at Carthage, we should be celebrating because we're presenting the gospel and it doesn't matter the skin color. We need to be open to share the gospel to any, anybody. Uh, Christ does not look at rich or poor. It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor. The gospel's for you. And, and we shouldn't hold that against anybody if they're richer or poor. We should present the gospel to the hospital. The gospel. <laughs> I did it again. The gospel to them. How can you put two words together like that, man? Uh, well, what I'm doing is I'm thinking ahead and I need to think now. But what Christ does in the end, he divides the sheep from the goats. And the sheep are those who choose right, good, narrow, God, and heaven. And the goats are the ones that choose wrong, evil, wide, Satan, and hell. But something that I really want to clear up today, that so many of us think that we can ride the middle of the road, that we don't think that we have to make a choice. Christ didn't give us a third choice. There is no third choice. It's either you're going to heaven or you're going to hell. You're either right or you're wrong. You're good or you're evil. There's no middle of the road. So if you haven't chose Christ today, you fall on the wrong side. If you want to go to heaven, that is. If you're perfectly content with this world and hell, that's your choice. But God lays this out to us. And Christ lays this beautiful salvation out from uh, to us. But he says in Matthew 25, he will set the sheep on his right hand and the goats on his left hand. The choice is ours here today. We're either traveling to heaven, to hell, and again, there's no, there's no alternatives. I want to show an illustration today because this is an illustration that similar to what I saw when I was 12 years old, dad, on the way to Virginia in the motel room. I was watching TV. Of course, it was black and white back in that day. And, and anyway, that's bad, but it was, I think. But, but anyway, I saw this picture and how the, that we choose our destiny and how we, by our choices, uh, we, we decide our outcome. And I was moved by that. And dad come back in after unloading the car or whatever he was doing. And he said, and I said, dad, will you pray with me? And I accepted Jesus Christ at 12 years old on the way to Virginia. But Jesus... In his Bible, 
explains it all to men. And he urges us to choose him. But so many times, decisiveness steps in there. Deception steps in and, and lets us know. And we just, we just choose the wrong way. And you can see that in that video. But what I, or the, the film up there, what I see is a bunch of people choosing the wrong path. And as I said earlier, you know, to me, it's easy to follow Christ. It's easy to know what he expects from us. His word's very clear, and that's what Jesus is showing today. But it's hard for our flesh to give in to it. And that's all that happens is our flesh doesn't give in to Christ, and we make bad decisions. So Galatians 6, 7 says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. So if you sow sin in your life today, you're going to receive hell. If you sow salvation in your life today, righteousness, you'll receive heaven. Romans 6, 23 says, for the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So again, we see in this passage of Scripture, on the Sermon on the Mount, Christ himself decries the characteristics of a Christian and the rules by which they should live by. And then he offers us all salvation. What have we chose today? If we choose Christ, we're choosing the things of God. But as I said earlier, we can get so deceived and, and the Lord really put it on my heart and I'm going to move into this now. But I think one of the biggest deception that Satan's putting against the, the church today is church. It's the Sabbath. I, I think Satan is attacking the Sabbath like you wouldn't believe because he knows it's where the, we receive the power, where we get fed, where we get fueled up. And, and so I'm moving in from salvation that after salvation, we need to, to move into honoring him on the Sabbath. And Hebrew 4, 9 through 11 says, so there is a special rest, the Sabbath, Sabbath still waiting for the people of God. For all who have entered into God's rest have rested from their labors, just as God did after creating the world. So let us do our best to enter the rest. But if we disobey God as the people of Israel did, we will fall. So here we're reading in the scripture in Hebrews where it even talks about God that after he created the heavens and the earth, he rested and observed the Sabbath on the seventh day. And he said that that rest that he had is the rest that we should have on the seventh day that we rest from our labors. He's saying, so let us enter that. But what he said at the end of it, if we don't, we will fall. And that's why I think Satan attacks the, the worship on Sunday or the Sabbath so much is because he knows that if we don't or aren't actively involved in it, that we will struggle with life. And God's word even says Israel struggled with it all the way through. And we see it through the scriptures that they didn't honor the Sabbath. They didn't honor the things of God. They fell. And Christ is saying through Paul and Hebrews here that if we don't honor the Sabbath, we too will fall. 
So how can we be even succeed as a believer if we're not actively involved on the Sabbath? In Exodus 31, 13, Moses, and actually this is what God told Moses to tell the people. He says, be careful to keep my Sabbath day for the Sabbath is a sign of the covenant between me and you. From generation to generation, it is given so you may know that I am the Lord who makes you holy. So God was telling them that, that we need to honor the Sabbath. They need to honor the Sabbath. Jesus didn't come to destroy the law. Jesus came to fulfill the law. And we're going to get into that here in a little bit. But I wanted to share an illustration today. Something else happened on November the 11th. Uh, 19, not 18, but 1989, but I married this gal over here on November 11th, 1989, and we celebrate, uh, you know, that was the smartest thing I ever did. I never forget my anniversary. Uh, it's <laughs> because I love her so much, you know, but it's always on Veterans Day, and it's always, it's, it's always, uh, uh, around deer season. And so it always reminds me, people are hunting or there's veterans running around and we're celebrating. I better be thinking. And so, but no, it's been good. But, but, but what I want to establish with this here is that the Sabbath is for us, you know, it, and I'm going to get into that a little bit later, but God made the Sabbath for us to rest in him. And, and I think of that, that, that covenant between me and God at salvation, that covenant that we have the, of the Sabbath, but the same covenant that I have with my, my wife, God honors. And, and whenever I chose her today, the word says, for this reason, love, a man can't will leave his father and mother, Larry and Doris, and be united to his wife, Karen, and they will become one flesh. Do you guys realize that scripture is five or six times in the Bible? And what I'm building in here, and bear with me in this, that, that God honors this covenant of marriage. God honors our decision to be together and to live together and, and all, time, all that good stuff. It says in Deuteronomy 7, 9, and I share this a lot in the weddings I do. It says, now know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keeps his commandments to a thousand generations. And what God is saying there, that, that he honors the covenant between Karen and I. He honors any covenant that we take with him in salvation, the covenant to, to honor the Sabbath that I'll get into a little bit later. But he's saying when Karen and I got married, he was rejoicing. And I heard a guy preach at the Morgan wedding the other night. It was so powerful that he compared their marriage coming together as a relationship uh, of salvation. He said the, the angels in heaven were rejoicing. The kingdom of God was rejoicing. This is a powerful, uh, intimate time. And I know that, but I've never heard that so beautifully put. God rejoiced when Karen and I got married, and he established, we established a covenant with him, which made him happy, and he said he would love us, that he would be faithful to us, to the thousandth generation. And that's powerful. But he also said that in salvation. You choose me, and I'm going to bless you. You're going to be so blessed that people are going to be envying you. You're going to be so blessed that, that, that even in the most difficult times, you're going to recognize me and worship me because God is faithful in our salvation. God is faithful in our, his commitment to us when we choose whom we will serve. 
But I believe there's a third thing there in that God says there's a covenant of salvation or of the Sabbath. There's a covenant of I'm going to be dedicated to you. And I believe when we honor the Sabbath that it's a covenant and God rejoices when we come in here. God is excited when we come into this place. God is in love with us so much that, that he's just going to pour into us. And so many times we walk in here, well, I've got too much baggage. You know, when you honor the, the, the Sabbath, that covenant between God and you, man, when you walk in these doors, you can expect a blessing. Because God says, I will be faithful, I will be loving, I will be there for you to the thousandth generation. But the reason we don't feel that in our marriages is because we're not honoring the covenant. The reason we don't feel the things I'm talking about today in our salvation is because we're not honoring the covenant. The reason we don't feel God move sometimes in this church is because we're not walking in here prepared for him to move on us. You following me today? These are the things of God. God says, honor your marriage. God says, honor your salvation. God says, honor the Sabbath. And when we do those things, he's going to bless our socks off. Oh, okay, pastor. All right, you about done yet. But we need to get a hold of this. And I don't think we have. I can tell you right now, if Karen and I didn't honor the marriage covenant, the salvation covenant, the covenant of of, of the Sabbath, we would not be married today. We have the same problems you guys had, had. We go through the same things you do. But I give glory to God for honoring the salvation, for honoring our marriage together, and for honoring the Sabbath when I honored it. And that's where I get back to. So many times we think that we do these things because we're doing God a favor. Okay, God, I'll, I'll do you a favor. I'll, you know, I'll get married because you said to. Oh, God, you're doing, I'll do you a favor, God. I'll get saved because you say I need to. Oh, God, I'll do you a favor. You know, I'll go to church Sunday because you say I need to go, and I'll put my time in, God. The Sabbath isn't for God. It's for you. And that's what the Scripture says. In Mark 2, 27, Jesus said the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people, you, and not the people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. But we need to get a hold of that, that when we come in here, God wants to meet our needs. God wants to move in our life. And I got to thinking about that, that, that when I did put myself into the, the Sunday Sabbath, when I put myself into church at any time, man, that, that's when I got delivered. Man, I was, I've been healed at these altars. Man, God did a healing in me Wednesday night at these altars. I was baptized in the church on the Sabbath. I was married on the, in the church. I take the Lord's Supper. I dedicated my babies in the church on the Sabbath. I had revival in the church on the Sabbath. Some of my greatest memories were in the church on the Sabbath. 29 years of marriage started on the 
in the church and honoring my relationship with Christ. So when the word of God and Christ himself says that, that when you honor me, I will, I will love you, I'll be faithful to the thousandth generation. And you just need to do your part and be faithful back. Trust in me. And he'll do all these wonderful things in your life. But so many times people struggle. They struggle in their marriages. They struggle in their lives. And, and, and the answer is, is, is right here. We've gotten so busy lately. We get a lot of calls to do marriage counseling outside the church. And, and we do them, but I get so flustered because what good does it do for me to help somebody if they're not going to get involved in the body of Christ? If they're not going to honor the Sabbath, what good does it do to spend all that time on them? And, and so instead of being mean and saying that to them, I meet with them and say, are you attending church anywhere? And if they say, no, they're not observing the Sabbath anywhere, I say, I will help you, but I want you to go to church somewhere. And I don't care where you go. But you need to honor God because he, he's, he, he's going to bless you. But so many times, our families are torn apart, our marriages are torn apart, our life is torn apart, simply because we're not honoring one of those three things. We're not honoring the salvation covenant we have we're not honoring the Sabbath covenant we have. We're not honoring the marriage agreement we had. Do you guys realize that, that Jesus finally gave in to divorce because he got tired of the people bickering? We don't think about that. Jesus wanted us to stay. He, he was saying, I can heal anything. But Israel kept complaining and bickering and moaning. Okay, if, if you need to get married, divorced because of adultery, that's okay. But what Jesus really wanted to do is if you could get the man and the woman in the same room at the same time and allow God to move, he could change their life. That's what Jesus' heart would do. But the problem is we can't get the man and the woman in the room at the same time. That's why there's divorce. But Christ would heal everything and anything if we would just be faithful in salvation faithful in our covenant of, of worship. Two weeks ago, I got up here and, and, and put up a slide that showed how many people attended Oakton and, and the averages and all that stuff. And I think the averages for the last year was, was 305 or 7 or something like that. And we were year-to-date 299. And all I hear is all you care about is the numbers. All you care about is this. Guys, that's souls. And I can see the devil attacking these souls. I can see the devil trying to steal the Sabbath from them. What really disturbed me even more is Norma did a account of that month of September that we run the 299, and the year-to-date average again was 305, 307. We're down seven or eight. But she ran the month of September, and 424 people attended the 8 o'clock, the 1030, or the 1130. 125 people, and again, some of them could be guests, but the fluctuation that, that we see in the services, 
Since then, I've seen uh, one week, we, from one week to another, we moved 60 people. Don't tell me Satan isn't trying to take the Sabbath. And the Sabbath is for us. And we need to fight for the Sabbath. You know, I get tired of hearing, you know, I can hear God on the tractor. I can hear God in the deer stand. I can hear God in other places. I'm not saying you can't. But God asks us to honor the Sabbath. And Satan realizes that, and that's why he goes after it. But you guys realize the Sabbath was so important to the Jewish people. And this was in our reading the last couple of weeks. And in our reading, we read it four times in one day. Again, that there's a day of preparation before the Sabbath. The Jewish people prepared for the Sabbath. So the Sabbath with them was started on, on Friday evening, goes in through Saturday. They prepared the day before Friday for the Sabbath on Saturday. That's how important the Sabbath was to them. In other words, worship Sundays to us was so important that they prepared the day before. Uh, if you look in the scriptures there, there's in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. All four passages say that. When I was in Bible college, they always told me that if, if you see something four times like that, especially in the gospel, you better be paying attention. And we see it in every one of them. But I put Mark uh, 1542 up there. And it says, when evening had come, because it was a preparation day, that is the day before the Sabbath. And what that was, the reason I'm wanting you to hear that is even when, when Christ was going to the cross, they were still honoring the Sabbath. Did you realize that? When Christ was going to the cross, they were even his own were honoring the Sabbath. They were preparing and trying to get things around for it. And Christ told us to honor the Sabbath. But the day of preparation was the day before is the point I want to make. And there was three things that the Jews focused on, and I got this from myjewishlearning.com. But three things the Jews did and do to prepare for the Sabbath. The first thing, which is my favorite, they had a ritual bath, and it's called whatever that word is up there. But a ritual bath symbolizing a spiritual cleansing. This was private time to take in, to reflect, to relax, to disengage from the past week, to think about the coming experience of the Sabbath. Man, just think. Well, I'll just ask you, how many have done this preparing for the Sabbath today? How many of us have, have unwind and unwound, as this word says up here, disengaged from your life and just settled down and just said on Saturday, okay, I'm coming down. I'm going to disengage from this life. Man, I'm going to go get in the bathtub and I'm just going to meditate and examine my heart and prepare my heart for Sunday worship. Woo. Wow. You know what? I do do this. But usually it's right after the service. Some of you may have heard the rumors, but, but I'll go into the bathroom. I run a, we got a big garden bathtub. I put the, the soap in there. I put all the smelly things in there. Yeah, they're girly ones too. I like it. But we get it in there and I, I get it warm and I crawl in there and I will literally, I'll put the football game on and I'll fall asleep in the bathtub about every Sunday. And I'm there minimum two hours sometimes. But I'm disengaging. I'm relaxing and meditating on what just happened. Just think if we did it the other way around. 
And I want to challenge you as a church body that Christ says to honor the Sabbath. And, and, and Christ was Jewish and, and he did these same things. And I would challenge you to disengage. I'm not saying you have to do the bubble bath thing. But disengage on, 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 on Saturday. And if you are going hunting, disengage. And while you're hunting, think and meditate on the things of God and say, God, move on the service tomorrow. Father, touch my children in children's church. Touch my children and youth. Father, move on my family. Lord, if there's anything in there, Father, move on me. Father, I ask that you bless my Sunday school teacher and just prepare for the next day. And that takes us into the second thing they do. People set aside monies for charity. They even prepared their hearts on what they would give the next day. Do we prepare our hearts and, and pray to God and say, God, how do you want me to give my charity the next day? Now, I look at this in our time, tithe, and talents. You know, Father, how much do I need to give you? Well, we know the tithe is what God asked for. But, but, but Father, are you calling me to teach a class? Father, are you calling me to be on the altar team? But we're, we're taking a time to, again, just, just to focus in and meditate on the things of God. But regardless, all of them, the third thing they talked about, all of them meditate. And, and they set time to just get alone and, and study the word quietly before the Sabbath. And I thought to myself that I can remember back in the day, I'd walk in on mom and dad and I'd be, what you doing, mom and dad? That's kind of how I did it. And anyway, mom and dad say, I'm studying for my Sunday school lesson. And nowadays, half of us don't even attend Sunday school. But they were preparing. You know, how many of us, I've heard so many wonderful testimonies. Pastor, are you going to do that chronological Bible study again this year? That was so awesome. Man, we need to keep doing that. And answer your question, yeah, we're going to take it on. And, and I'm not making anybody, but if you want to go along, we're going to do it again next year. But just coming together and meditating on the Word and, and thinking about the next day. But do we take a time of preparation and think about what's going to happen here on Sundays? A lot of you say, well, that was Jewish, Pastor. We're not Jews. Well, in reference on Matthew Henry commentary to Mark 5.21 that I just shared to you with you, that's what Matthew Henry put up there. And this is a commentary that, that everybody thinks is the best one out there. He says, when the Sabbath draws on, there must be a preparation. Our worldly affairs must be so ordered that they may not hinder us from our Sabbath work. Our holy affections so stirred up that they may carry us on it. In whatever business we engage or however our hearts may be affected, let us never fail to get ready for and to keep the day of, of sacred rest, which is the Lord's day. What I'm about to say, I don't think any of them is wrong, but they're not the Sabbath. But so many times we come up, they're part of the Sabbath, and, and they're very important. But our life groups are not the Sabbath. Our Sunday school are, is not the Sabbath. It, they're both part of it. Our golden agers are not the Sabbath. They're part of it. The things that we do outside of here 
are part of it, but they're not the Sabbath alone. The reason I say that is when we go get built up in these groups, we get built up in Sunday school, we get built up, I saw the exciting things that happened at the life groups the other night. Didn't even know you played guitar, by the way. And you probably should have put that, you don't. <laughs> I guess I wasn't there, but it looked like you were. But when we have all these moves and things happening during the mornings and during the week and other evenings, and we come back in here and we're prepared, man, there's a move of God like you wouldn't believe. Because all them things I mentioned are good things or support things. But this is the Sabbath. But what concerns me as a pastor so many times, and I and almost hesitated when we started the life groups, is a lot of churches said their numbers go down because of the life groups, because that becomes church. This is the Sabbath. The next thing that, that again, I believe the Lord spoke to me, if we truly desired revival, we would prepare on Saturday, clear our schedules on Sunday, so that the Holy Spirit had our total attention. And then what happens so many times is, is to be honest with you guys, you lay that heavy back on me. You lay that heavy back on the, the leaders of the church, on the youth pastors, all that. We're not having revival because of you. How many of you have prepared for the Sabbath today? And I don't say this to be mouthy or cocky, but almost every week, at least once, I lay hands on every chair and pray for the people that are sitting in the chairs right here. Every week, I walk up and I lay hands on the microphone and ask the Lord, the Holy Spirit, would move over anybody that touched that microphone would bless them. Even down to the, over the microphone on the special music, I lay hands on the altars, and again, I don't say that to lift me up. I say to tell you that we're preparing. But what if we all prepared and walked around this church and praying and lifting God up and, and, and just however the Lord told you to do that. But we lay it back on the pastor when there's not revival. When to me, the revival starts in your own lives as well. The next thing I thought was heavy, but I believe the Lord told me to say, those who do not prepare and clear their schedules for the Sabbath are telling God that, you know, this is where it is. I'm not going to be there Sunday. And again, I'm not saying you can't go on vacation. I'm not saying that. The Lord, when he was telling me to preach this today, I was like, Lord, it's deer season. We're going to have 50 people gone because of that. It's not wrong to go deer hunting. I'm not saying that. And, and most of the people that aren't here miss that one day. But, but what I'm saying is here today that this needs to be most important to us. And that we need to protect it. But, but where I'm going to get on your toes a little bit more, to me, if you've made plans at 12.15, then you don't plan on God moving here today. Most of the time when I call an altar call, there's more of an exit to the doors than there are to the altars. And I don't say that to be mean today, but if we're truly preparing for the, the, off, the, the, the service on Sunday, if we truly want God to move in our life, if, if you come to me, I'm getting hit with it all the time. Pastor, we want revival. What are you doing? 
Well, if you truly believe that, you would leave your calendars wide open in the afternoon. And the reason I say that is most revivals that I've been in hardly ever happen until after the preaching. Not always. I've walked in in some revivals and they'll start worshiping and the spirit will just go boom and we just worship the whole time. And there's a move of God and the preacher never even preaches. I've seen moves of God like that. I've seen moves of God when somebody is up and starts talking and we just go that direction and stay with it. But most moves of God happen after the preaching. And if, if we got plans, then we're not believing there's going to be a revival. Just saying some truth today. A lot of times we say, God, I'll be here from 8 o'clock to 9 o'clock to that service. But God, I may go to Sunday school, so I'll give you 8 o'clock to 9.30. Or I'll go to the 9.30 service, or Sunday school and then stay till 12. But, but we've already told the Lord what we're going to do. We've already decided ahead of time what we're going to do. And I just say to you today that if we truly desire the revival that I hear about, then we'll prepare for it the day before and we'll have our, our calendars free to where God can do what he wants to do. And I'm not going to just keep preaching for two hours just because we clear our calendars. But we allow God to do what he wants to do. Wednesday night, we had a wonderful time in the Lord. And, and it started at 7 o'clock, and the preaching was done at 7.45. But the prayer and everything went on at least till 8.45, if not 9 o'clock. Everybody knows that we like to dismiss the bus at 8 o'clock because all the kids riding the bus home. Uh, when there's a move of the Spirit... We're going to keep going, and that's what happened that night. And, and so what I'm getting at is, is that nobody had their schedules blocked out that night. That's why during revival, that, that do you guys realize that Chip Brim preached two hours one night and not hardly, to be honest with you, nobody complained about it. I had two people mention it, but, only, but, but nobody complained about it. Two hours. Why? Because we had nothing scheduled after that. We weren't pushed. We were prepared for God to do whatever. And, and he's a good evangelist. And so we were already made our mind up. We're going to give him the time he needs. He's going to speak and do what he wants to speak. And I'm going to allow God to move me. We went in prepared to receive. Well, I hear you every week, Pastor. Well, you can hear from God every week. But anyway, he calls the youth up and he, and he prophesies over them. And, and then the next slide, he, he calls us adults up there. And he prophesies over us. And the word he said to us is, Oakton, I'm not done with you. Here you he just preached a message that was pretty harsh. And stepping on some toes. But God was saying, I'm not done with you yet. See, that's the way God is. He's always reaching out to us. I can get up here and say truth and speak the word of God. And you can always know that God loves you. But you hear these things because God wants more of you. God wants more of me. 
But what he keeps telling me is I got it again the other night. I was set up to go in and watch the college football. I was looking forward to it. And the Lord goes, I want to speak to you. And I started in the other room and, and, and to watch the game. And I said, no, I want to hear from you, Lord. And so I went in to hear what he had to tell me. And that's half of what you're hearing right now. If the Lord had his way, he'd have every second of your day. And if you truly were honoring your covenant of salvation, you'd give it to him. But the devil's still on our Sundays, guys. And we're letting him do it. We need to prepare because God's just getting started. The Lord spoke to me more after that. What Tim told us when he said, Oakton, I'm not done with you yet. He said, Kent, it's individual. There's people in this room that need to know God's not done with you. Some of us think that we've messed up too much or whatever that God can't use us, and that's a lie from Satan. You need to hear that God's not done with you. God needs you. He doesn't have to have you, but he, he, he desires you. So I close out today with what the scripture opened up with. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those that find it are few. The praise team wants to come forward today. Guys, the things of God work. Thursday or Wednesday, yeah, Thursday night I went to visit a couple and they're watching a lot of babies. I think they got five babies. Can you imagine watching five babies at once? And and anyway, I get in there and there's one of the boys, um, he just a lot of trouble and and I went in there and, and sat down in the chair and and he was doing his thing but they made the comment that that the daddy was burning him with cigarette lighters and and I thought to myself oh that's just horrible but he was hard to handle and all I did is begin to just love on that kid and and that kid ended up in my lap and sat in my lap and played with me the whole night and yesterday, me and Karen went to a birthday party, and that family was there, and the little kid ran up and got on my lap and stayed on my lap the whole time, or 99% of the time, when all the other kids were playing, you know, the birthday parties, they're playing games, and they're playing the musical chairs. He did part of that. When they did all the games and stuff, he was on my lap because he desires the Father's love.
He desires a man's love. And so many times as fathers, we try to make things so difficult and so hard when simply our kids just want us to love on them. Uh, This father thought he had to burn him with cigarette lighters to make him mine. You want your kid to mine? Love him. You want your kid to mine? Take him to church. You want your kid mine to put the things of God into him? But that takes us back where we started today. The characteristics that Christ asks of us is to love him with all of our heart, soul, and mind and love our neighbors as ourselves. Cut and dry. And I'm not doing it today, but the second point that I didn't even get to is if, if we're not doing this, are we even going to heaven? Didn't realize it, but the line I had in my notes is, if, if we never led somebody to Christ, then how can we be a Christian? That's pretty harsh. But what are we choosing today? You know, you're saying, Pastor, it's so easy to follow Christ. The word up there is saying it's easy or it's hard to, to, it's easy to go the wrong way. It's hard to stay for Christ. The reason it's hard is because we're fighting our flesh. Our flesh doesn't want to do these things, but it's easy to do. Christ has laid it out. It's easy formula. If you just knew the scripture I showed you today, you'd just be fine the rest of your life. It's that easy. The hard part is breaking your flesh down to do it. And a lot of people hate it when I say it, but make yourself. I struggled with forgiveness for a person one time, and the Lord said, just say it. And I said, God, I'm not going to say it. I don't mean it. Just say it. Because when you speak my word, it breeds life. And I said, I forgive you. And I was able to start forgiving that person. Make yourself do the things of God. Make yourself love when you don't want to love. Make yourself want to be loved when nobody wants to love you. Make yourself go to church when you don't want to go to church. Make yourself prepared for the Sabbath when you don't want to. Make yourself say you're sorry to your wife when you don't feel like it, when you did nothing wrong. You see where I'm heading here today? Church is moving into emotions. You're not going to hear what I preach today very much anymore because people want a touchy-feely sermon. They want to hear, you do whatever you want to do, and they're going to go to heaven. When the word says narrow is the gate, wide leads to destruction. So where are you at in the Lord today? Because there's no in between. There's heaven and there's hell. There's good and there's evil. There's narrow and there's wide. What are you choosing today?